0: Hello, passionate listeners, welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world. I'm so excited about my guest today, Jacob Cooper. (laughs) Jacob Cooper had an NDE or near-death experience as a child. He explored the mystery of life on the other side of the veil and the continuity of consciousness beyond the physical body. Jacob Cooper is a clinical social worker, certified Reiki master, and certified hypnotherapist who specializes in past life regression therapy. Jacob facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars, promoting healing for those grieving and those with anxiety associated with the fear of life after death. He has presented at the Edgar Casey Association for Research and Enlightenment, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, IAN, spiritual centers, and universities throughout the world. Jacob is also the author of Life After Breath. This is his story, and this is his passion. Jacob Cooper, welcome to Passion Harvest.
1: A true pleasure. Thank you for having me on and sharing my passions on Passion Harvest with the viewers. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, I'd love to dive into your near-death experience if, if you're comfortable talking about that when you're a child.
1: Yeah, you know, um, you know, my near-death experience is, um, and this is uh, kind of weird to say because NDE is maybe five to ten percent of population. You know, obviously, it's getting a lot more global-based understanding and scale with different documentaries such as Surviving Death and the work of Dr. Ab Mahmoodi, which you know coined the term and made that a household name. Uh, but the phenomenon um, is getting more acceptance and people are coming to that possibility understanding. A uh, minor death experience is different in a sense that it didn't happen midlife like a lot of people they're working in corporate jobs and uh, just something happened to them physically, you know, and they just had a breach of the physical reality and they entered the, wo- the doorway of eternity. Uh, but for me, this happened on the early onset of this lifetime at the age of three years old, September of 1993. You know, at the time I had a highly contagious upper respiratory virus called pertussis, otherwise known as whipping cough, which at the time I was not vaccinated. And mm-hmm. so we'll get into some of the parallels with the current time of what yeah. we're going through and the impetus and the drive behind writing my book, you know, and, and some of the symmetry with these times. but at the time of September 1993, I went to a park with family friends. I was a child in the playground and I went up onto a ladder onto a slide and I began to suffocate due to pertussis, the whipping cough that I had, and I wasn't able to breathe. And you know after suffocating, um, every part of my body you know shut down and my brain stopped working and I literally heard a, a tremendous crack within my brain. And once my brain cracked open in half, that's when God or the eternity or the doorway to eternity opened up. And I began to really have a full-blown cessation of uh, encounters with my own spiritual guides, angels, awareness of what I would refer to for practical state as as God, but a a verb or a word does not do justice to describe the all ever is and ever was. Uh, But but it was also an understanding of previous carnations, karmic duty, karmic ties, um, encounters with soul family members. And it it was quite profound. Uh, My favorite part of the NDE was being able to recognize that angels, not just spiritual guides, are right over this reality in a sense that they are right here. If you just turn the dial up a little bit, they're here on a thin veil overlaying this reality and when I saw my body lifeless at the end of the slide that was irresponsive to the people that called me I was able to become aware of my own spiritual body and I saw an endless sea of angels hovering over my body and just floating in this distance and they were a brown and gold color and it was just it was just the most remarkable sea of angels that I could see and it just at that time reminded myself of how all this is all going on while we're here in this earth so we just forget about it it doesn't go anywhere
0: wow what what a re- remarkable experience and a very deep experience for a three-year-old so you left you you actually left your physical body and you saw your physical body you were detached from it
1: yes i when my body was on the ground i became aware of a body that i had so there was a physical body mm-hmm. then there was the soul body or the energy body and that is you. And so when let's say mediums connect to loved ones are still able to connect to form. And so when we do cross over and go to the other side, we do continue our forms. We have our forms. Um, I wasn't able to see it, but I was aware of it. I was able to feel that I had a form that I was looking next to my body. Um, But I became also very much aware to so much other support that was around me that I forgot about. So it's just my two spiritual guides, which literally with their own force pushed my body down the slide when I was out of breath when I was suffocating and you know laid me let to rest on the ground and they were incredibly potent powerful beautiful while also I had a sensation of being quite embarrassed that I forgot about them that they're always there with me at my own inner core you know
0: and if you had I mean this is so hard to put into words but if you had to describe what they looked like what what did they look like? <laughs>
1: You know, supermodels are, are beautiful, but um, I would say the, the appearance was diametrically opposite of anything of this reality. You know, the colors, the sights, the magnitude and the size of them was all words beyond this reality. And that was the common theme that I had and, and kind of why I kept it very much sacred unto myself for a decade or two is the words and verbiage don't do the experience justice, but they do viewership justice. And so what I would say is there's no governing feeling or words that have any sort of symmetry with the other side. It's totally beyond any descriptive words of this reality. But what I would say is just imagine the most climactical, euphoric, beautiful experience and and beings around you. And that might touch the ankles of it, but they were indeed, what i would say is in looking at the angels i became very much aware that spiritual guides were a lot more grounded in a sense that they really were more micro focused or focused on my own experience whereas the angels were more kind of depersonalized macro they were focused on the larger kind of overlaying theme of humanity and the energy around myself, and so I felt a lot more of a personalized connection with the spiritual guys and they had a lot more human features. Uh, at the time, I was fully aware of their names. Um, and I, I, since then, you know, it crosses my mind but it wasn't as full blown as when I had my NDE where there was no doubt that I knew their essence X-ray just as they knew who I was.
0: And you talk about your uh, past lives or your other lives. What? what, what... What was
1: that, those experiences? Right. So the the past life recalls that I had was I had a life review and which I was aware of, you know, the things that I did in my lifetime. But beyond that was was the past life life review where Mm -hmm. I was aware of different lifetimes. Uh, Within my past life review, there was an overlay energy of this earth and kind of like another dimension of it. It's kind of like if you, almost kind of like a parallel higher universe of this reality. And so when I was viewing my different carnations, I was able to span the globe and have other different countries and frames. And I was literally flying around the globe with different lifetimes that I've lived. And I was just kind of bouncing around like a ping pong ball with different lifetimes that I lived. And, you know, at the time it, it was very touching, but not all lifetimes are the same in regards to this lifetime. I do believe we are totality of every lifetime we live, but some, you know, carnations have more themes and and symmetry with this particular lifetime. And that last lifetime was a lifetime in which I took my own life, and I was I was a teacher, and I just kind of had my own demise, and my back was against the wall, and I saw no hope past the darkness, and and, and I, I took my own life, and. Hopefully we could get into some of the karmic ties of the NDE and the last carnation of suicide that I had, which has been picked up by a few evidential psychics and mediums that had no way to know my story. This was long before it became public. And so there was evidential tangibility behind, you know, my findings and what I had with others who have read me.
0: (laughs) So you talk about the karmic bonds or the karmic ties with suicide. I'd love to, I'd love to um, hear your views on
1: that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I work in the field of mental health. And so I deal with it on a, on a regular basis and it's not a, you know, people ask me my viewpoints, I I would say it's not cutthroat in the sense that much like life, it's, it's not black and white with each person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so from the ground up, it's person to person, you know, there's a different, meaning a different drive, a different reason that that leads to that. What I would say is, and when I I do past life regressions, I I do believe that yes, the source is a school, but I don't think it's a school that we have to learn anything that we don't know. I think in a way it's a school to really embody and remember what's inside of ourselves and to entrust that what's inside of us is far greater than the challenges that lie in front of us. And I don't look at suicide as a pathology, a weakness, uh, rather, it's a strength in the sense that someone at the time, depending on their situation, it's, it's a catharsis, it's a relief. There's too much that the person is carrying that they can no longer have. And so I understood in a sense that my work from the ground up was to allow people to remember that we have to get past, I, I guess, the Western civilization notion of doing everything all on our own and being able to understand the strength in asking for guidance from those here on the earth plane as well as if we are evolved and understanding the the ability to access support, guidance, channeling from the higher energies that never leave us, that are in the closest doorways of our own soul. And so the one notion and the one illusion that I guess that I had was the isolative experience that we think that we have when we're suffering as when we're suffering, it's very isolative, much like the suffocation that I had but to be able to look at that square in the face, to not try to bypass, surpass that, but to look past that, much as like a model looks at a, at a at a at a shot and they look not at the camera, but they look through the camera. And so being able to look through life, not just at face value, what we're going through, and, and to be and to be privy to the light behind the veil of darkness that people go through.
0: That's an excellent point. So I mean, there is no typical near-death experience, but you didn't have the typical near-death experience going up through the tunnel of light and meeting angels. It was all on this plane, as you talk about, but a, a different realm.
1: No, I, you know, I apologize for not clarifying. The The tunnel was certainly, you know, and I'm sorry for not detailing that, something that I experienced as well as the intensified euphoria of experiencing the, the greater domain of, of God or what I like to know is the palace of God that was literally the most highest possible point that I experienced. But, you know, people ask me to pinpoint the other side, where is it? Um, Mm. Is it? And so what I would say is it is here, but it's also infinite miles away. And so people try to finite the infinite and they try to have measurable intangible, the intangible. And so what I would say is if you have the afterlife that's a million miles away, but it's not overlaying this reality, then that's a limited afterlife. And so the afterlife is, is, is above this reality and far beyond and greater. It's infinite in its dimensions. But I was able to have an infinite sensation of vibrating past this reality at an infinite height and degree where there was no limitation with how high and how far I could soar within the infinite light. And so, what I would say is these experiences were, yes, happening, you know, overlaying this reality, but I was also able to soar far past this earth reality, you know, into um, multi dimensions. What I would also say is that I don't have a monopolization or full totality from that one NDE of the other side, nor does I think anyone. I think, in a way, it told me that that experience with the other side was just a, a beginning. Of understanding, of integration of it, but to say that I had the full totality of experience in my NDE would make the afterlife quite boring. Um, <laughs> you know, I I try to look at life as the observer, where there's always new things to find and explore.
0: Yes, well, you had you had the need of experience based on your consciousness as well. So, and what I guess what you needed to know at the time and to take you through this life. I I, I am the same belief. You know, sometimes we think heaven or the multi dimensional realm is some far off realm, but in fact, it is right here, right now. It's just a matter of tapping into that vibratory state.
1: Oh, yes. You know, it's, I, people say we're here to create heaven on earth. I say I would one up that. We are literally heaven on earth. If you think about it, that's where we come from. And we, for whatever reason, came to this earth reality. I would say the majority of it is we we like our opposites in a way, in a way we want to embody and integrate that to a place of the opposite, where there is forgetfulness, where there is a sense of amnesia, where there is a sense of blindedness. And the beauty of remembering that, the beauty of integrating that, and the beauty of spreading that dimension into this physical reality is, is a lot of spiritual seekers' souls' drive.
0: Well, that takes me to the veil. I mean, as we come into this physical incarnation why in your opinion the veil why why do we forget
1: that's a wonderful question I I think about that a lot myself why isn't everything I think
0: too much myself I think I'm, i think I think all the time now <laughs> <laughs> sorry please yeah. go on
1: yeah you know uh, the brain is a big the, the brain and mind is a big responsibility but um, if we're in it too much we could drive ourselves crazy in a sense that the left brain is finite, and these are infinite principles. And so to look and understand that, we need to use deeper under deeper vantage points of our being to feel, hear, sound, s- s- see and understand those points. But what I would say is, um, you know, that's in a way what separates this reality is the fact that we do have forgetfulness, the fact that we don't remember this. And so that leads to a lot of potential growth and expansion. um, If we are able to integrate and remember it, some people, for whatever reason, you know, drink more from the waters of amnesia, some less, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this is an earth reality. And I don't think we're here to learn, but we're here to remember. And I also think that there's great value of the journey, that people think of the journey as one straight trajectory of just truth, you know, but but truth, when we forget, we are open up to a potential greater truth than the ones that we held. And so it's a nonlinear trajectory of expansion and evolution that we have through the process of loss, pain, suffering, you know, through darkness, and sometimes understanding that to thrive, We need to have a deeper gear to get through the tumultuous seasons that we might be in, you know, and that's the testament of faith and being able to see past the forgetfulness and the darkness and the veil. And there's a lot of growth that happens from integrating that in the human body and remembering that.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, drinking from the waters of amnesia. That's that's a fabulous <laughs> sentence.
1: I, w- I wish that was my <laughs> statement. That's actually a philosophical statement. I believe that was Plato or Socrates. I forget.
0: Oh, it's uh, if you do listen,
1: If you do listen to Dr. Raymond Moody, um, he's got a PhD in philosophy, and he he's on the front cover of my book, coined the term NDE, but he breaks down the NDE through the different lenses of different philosophers. See, a lot of people think that near-death experience is something that Raymond uh, discovered, but he coined the term, but, but the, the, the phenomenon of losing control of the body and entering another reality has been here for centuries. That's nothing new, uh, but I do think it's a lot more common as science, medical advancements are allowing that incubi- incubational period between life and death. And more people are being able to be empowered to take ownership of as as more people are coming out of the woodwork. So we won't be ostracized for it as as to as today, you know.
0: Yes, um, Dr. Moody has been on the show. It was such a delight to interview him. Wow. Yeah. Why do you why do you think some people have varying degrees of amnesia, as you mm. call it?
1: You know, that's a wonderful question. I mean, you're asking hit after hit after hit, man. Oh, really? You, you might as well <laughs> be, you might as well be in the Supremes or earth wind and fire or, or, or a nice band you know you, you got you got a lot of good hits here I, I would say um, when people ask me what's the most important element of spirituality or, or of expansiveness I would say the most important part is being empowered you know and and why I say that is you um, You know, I think from an early age, we're very disempowered, we're physically reliant on our parents, and the world outside of us sees us as a blank canvas, and so many people internalize that blank canvas, internalize how other people perceive that, and they trust in people in this reality over the doorways of their own infinite truth we're not taught that we are good enough. We're not taught to be the embodiment of ourselves. We're taught to be something, we have to learn something, we have to do something. And so there's a constant self-evaluatory transactionalism that happens within our lifetime where we're constantly trying to, to do everything but be ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think truly people who are very connected are very empowered. And some would call that an old soul. Some would call that beating to a different beat of a drum. But I think people who are empowered are able to really tune into themselves, their own frequency, so that they could um, allow that to come forward. And that takes a lot of—I'm <laughs> Jewish, but the word is chutzpah or disrespect. It takes—it takes, it takes some—it takes some courage to defy parents, to defy what you've been handed to, what you've been programmed to it takes a lot of inner strength to overcome that and to be resilient against that, and to say that you know better than that from, from an early age. And so I think that's part of it. And other parts of it is there are old souls, there are new souls. I don't pretend to know why, I don't know why, mm-hmm. um, but not every medium is an old soul. Not every non-medium is a young soul, you know, it depends. But I think some people for whatever reason are more in tuned with their own rhythm. And I think a lot of that has to do with empowerment and being able to understand the value of the inner world. Um, It's very easy to be a leaf in water, but far more rewarding to create our own
0: current. You're coming up with some fabulous sentences that I'm (laughs) gonna have to quote. Um, (laughs) Just back to your NDE, did you choose to come back to your physical body?
1: You know, if I didn't, I probably wouldn't be here today. This would be an illusionary uh, interview. But that's a good question, because there are two pathways. It's, it, it's 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. You either have the choice or you're told that you have to. But I was given the power of choice. I was given the power of what I would do with, with my NDE. And a lot of this more is highlighted in Life After Breath, which you know is a lot more than just an NDE. There's a memoir component, but Most importantly, it's there to allow people to be empowered and take ownership of not my story, but their story, not my afterlife, but their afterlife. But Mm -hmm. I decided to stay. And the reason is, is I they asked me, my guides, my angels, you know, the higher consciousness really asked me what I would be doing. And I would say, well, if I do stay, what will come out of this lifetime? And within moments, I was shown flashing imagery of the life that I would live. And I saw myself speaking Yeah, in front of a group of people. And it's not that I was some pompous teacher or guru in front of these people, was rather I was one with the participants. I was no different, no better, but I wasn't tuned into the messenger, but rather the message that needed to come not from me, but through me. And so as beautiful and euphoric as the, the dimensions of light and dimensions of the other side that I experienced, there was nothing more rewarding and beautiful than bringing that, into this. And so that was a unique window and opportunity that I knew from my near-death experience that I was privy to, um, you know, that I was able to really integrate later in life. And I said, as beautiful as a the hereafter, there's nothing more beautiful than bring the hereafter into the here now. And so that image, that that life path was why I decided to, to really stay. Um, and I think a lot of it was individual and collective. There was healing there was transformation from obviously that last lifetime that I lived uh, not that that was needed but rather it was a desire. Uh, there's a difference between a necessity and a desire and I think the soul's nature has an urge or desire to create ripple effect to evolve to you know further elevate their own its own essence, its own life you know you know and that's what I decided to
0: do. Well, you're embodying it and living it now, which is wonderful. And you didn't tell anyone about your experience for 20 years?
1: Around two two decades, roughly that time. You know, it was um, what I would say to survive. I needed to keep that to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, descriptive words did not do justice. And, you know, I, I, was more comfortable living in that reality, but I was more comfortable living in private, where I didn't speak on it. I was more comfortable with the reassurance that I had from those loved ones around me. See, there's a great danger and when you're young and you had such an experience close to heart and telling it to the wrong people, I would say, be careful with your sacred soul. be careful with your sacred story. You wouldn't, you know, just give that to anyone. And so I think timing is everything and being able to be empowered in it and being able to process it allowed me to really integrate it. But I think one of the biggest components that allowed empowerment and ownership of it was reading Betty 80's book called Embraced by the Light, which was metaphorically and literally a gift to me from a family friend. And so reading Betty's book gave me for the first time a universality of my near-death experience that someone had it, which was a double-edged sword. In On one hand, it was cathartic to know that someone else had it. On the other hand, I was a little bit frustrated because I felt so special. I was like, this is <laughs> the only thing that I had. No one else had this. And then uh, reading Betty's book, there was all these organizations and I saw all these people talking about it. I'm like, oh, not so special as I thought I was, <laughs> you are. But you know, when, other, when everyone's having it, it, it takes, it took that away. But I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world because there was an immense amount of supportive network that I wouldn't be able to talk about this had I not been able to ride that degree of support in a world that was ready to hear it. And so um, otherwise it was just a, sh- a book on my library shelf that was collecting dust, but the ultimate currency, the ultimate value was the ability to integrate this into this body. And words did not do justice to myself, but they allowed someone else to benefit from it. You know.
0: Well, thank you so much for being so open and honest and sharing your story today. What would you say to those that are fearful or afraid of death or dying? Yeah. Well, they're all yeah, the same, you know, death I, and dying.
1: Think, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. One's the process of transition, and one is the fi- you know the finalization. It's very funny because the, you know, in the near death experience was not Raymond's first terminology. Of what he wanted. He wanted something esoteric or academic, and they kind of told him to make it more of a household name. But the fact that near-death experience has the word death, and I'm sure Dr. Moody would agree with this, is the ultimate opposite of a near-death experience in a sense that it is, it is the total opposite of whatever we think death is, you know. And that's, I think, why he wrote the book Life After Life. He wanted to understand, you know, that it was just, you know, I think the death part was more the human experience with being close to this, you know, and, and the process of transitioning was a whole rebirth to a new profound understanding of reality, you know. And, and so, um, I, for my near-death experience, and not to sugarcoat it, suffocating was not fun. Suffocating was traumatic. The trauma is the reason why, at the age of three, I do believe why I'm able to remember it, and I could say this as. A licensed, you know, psychotherapist. As when you're having, when you have a traumatic experience, there's memory that far surpasses conventional uh, capacity to retain information. And for me, there was a trauma component to the near-death experience and suffocation, as well as the euphoric element that was far beyond the neurobiochemical uh, part of my body and my brain. And so, I think that's really why I was able to remember it. So, death is something that I embrace look forward to and i just use those words for viewership to understand but i, I the process of uh, of suffocating and, and and that part that was not fun <laughs> that was not easy When do you i think a lot of it is when you say these words it's like okay suffocating whatever but when you experience suffocation if anyone ever has and i think a lot of deaths other than if you're have a traumatic death or you get shot you know, people start losing control of their breath, and that's how a lot of people die. Is the breathing becomes, you know, more difficult. You know, it happens to dogs, it happens to humans. You know, and so that part is not fun. But I think, in a way, it taught me a lot. You know, the greatest, the lowest point, the point where I felt the lowest in my life, I understood that that had no real tangible value, it was very fleeting. And behind that, you know, difficult suffocation was a remembrance that I was the breath of eternity. From losing the breath in the body, I remembered the breath that I was created from, the eternal breath that I was bestowed with. And that's something that I'll never lose sight of or forget. And I'm hoping viewers are able to remember that as, I know at least within the Jewish tradition, that is the word for spirit is ruach or the wind of God. And I remember from losing myself, from losing my breath, I was able to connect to a new eternal breath of my own uh, you know soul and it's forever beautiful dwelling of, place
0: beautiful way of describing it so there is no doubt in your mind that there is life after death
1: life after breath yeah life after <laughs> <That's> breath <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah 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 i i can't say there is um you know that was an experience that was far more real far more powerful Uh, far more authentic than any experience that I had in this reality. Um, I'm my own skeptic, even in my own near-death experience is a part of me that it was just so profound that I was just trying to, you know, because there's an incubational period where even at three years old, I was used to the body and you Mm -hmm. have this diametrically opposite experience and you're thrown in the waters of eternity. There's an adjustment phase, you know? And so people ask all the time, who has experienced this, your your three-year-old self or this guy in front of us that's 30 years old and a psychotherapist. Great question. And and so, uh, you know, that I would say is we are not our bodies, we are our soul. And so in a sense that there's an outer representative of of ourselves, but there's a whole other underlying inner, you know, inner component to ourselves. And so I firmly believe that we get used to the body. We get used to this lifetime. We are, we are able to articulate ourselves and adjust. But at the end of the day, our soul from birth to death is always there. And again, it might evolve and might grow and might expand. But that's that's a soul that's far greater than this lifetime. There's an eternal book that's far greater than this one chapter. And so when people ask me what this experience was, I would say parts of it was an attachment to my three-year-old self as a part of me, you know, wanted to go back for my parents and thought about that in my decision and that attachment. But then there was this whole other underlying part where I broke out of the body. I broke out of the, this temporary illusionary sense of identity of the body and, and program to see myself as three years old and understanding that I was a timeless and ageless soul. And so that was what I was experiencing. And maybe later on in the interview, we could get on a couple different tools and ideas to get people to understand that they don't have to die to really experience their own doorways to eternity. You know, so.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful. We can do that now, or I'd love to hear about your past life regression therapy.
1: Yeah. Well. One of
0: your many offerings.
1: Yeah. I know I'm going to forget this, but. What I do in, in many of my trainings and many of my classes that I run, I view meditation as ultimate rapport and engagement with the doorway to eternity. For people who meditate, they experience that same infinite understanding, that infinite nature. And why that is, is when you meditate, you touch a, a part that is far greater than your thoughts, far greater than your emotions, far greater than your body. There's this infinite eternal seat of the soul as Gary Zukav would discuss, right? That you connect to, or this sacred eternal observer through meditation. And so when you get quiet, just imagine life without that, life without that sacred eyes, or or you at your finest core, far greater than the body, far greater than your passing thought. You know, it's the observer, the sacred eternal observer. And so when I had my near-death experience, that's the closest thing that I could describe as a sacred eternal observer of life, you know, and, and your essence. And so when you meditate, it's almost impossible to have a reality where that doesn't continue, where you don't continue, you know, the processor of life to imagine that. And so when we die, we take away that collective quantum energy just into a new field of expansive understanding. It's not so much that we're totally transformed, it's that our awareness of ourselves and the nature of reality is. But we take our part of ourselves and we're able to heal, grow, expand through, you know, the other sides and the helpers there and all the celestial beings, you know, that are able to take away some of the world weariness that happens within lifetimes, you know, so that we could really elevate our soul of the higher vibratory field of the other side. But I would say, you know, meditation and getting close to that. There is no doubt for long term meditators, many of them that that part that they touch when they meditate could ever be taken from them or ever be removed, you know, but people who are linear and very caught up in the brain, I could fully understand their cynicism or skepticism past that is to imagine something past the five senses. That's crazy. And on that type of thought, you know, psychologically, you know, you, you would uh, be put in a hospital long times ago and, you know, be diagnosed, you know, with schizotypical, kind of stuff or schizophrenic you know tendencies and be hospitalized and we're now we're seeing that there's a whole you know value of um spirituality and psychotherapy you know in people's innate gifts you know of their own soul
0: well let's just leave this will lead on to your tips I, th- I think we're leading on to your tips right now
1: yeah yeah and so it's very important a couple times a day i think what, is, what happens is when we see ourselves as a physical body, that's really what we take most care of. We're so vigilant with our cars, with our houses, with our 401ks and retirement. We're very attached to that. And all that is important, you know, because, you know, if you bypass that, it's very hard to live, right? We need to, but when you connect to your soul and when you connect to that part of you, there is a drive. And that drive is to leave a world where there's a ripple effect far more than what you take. And so, you know, when we pass away, we're very focused on the egocentricism and taking. But when you come from a soulful vantage point, it's about that ripple effect, that impact. And so as people connect to their souls, not only they're impact driven, but they're also driven towards harmony and putting the me in the we and and the forgetfulness of all the barriers and to be windows without walls, to have clear sight, clear connectivity to to the earth and their fellow you know, brothers and sisters here on the planet. And so the hope is as people get more in tune with their soul, we could have a soulful existence where the collateral and the um, the, the, the value of our lives isn't so much in the taking, but rather the ability to connect and, and, and evolve, you know, your lifetime mm-hmm. in another. So.
0: And your view is that this is through meditation or the power of meditation?
1: Meditation is i I say there's there's a great saying that i came across our soul and our mind only works unless it's open much like an umbrella and we open ourselves to the higher mind and the higher consciousness and so meditation is a great way to really open ourselves up to that it's also an ability to allow us to be flow ready if you've noticed that uh the 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 people who meditate a lot are, are often just artists in this lifetime they have they know what to say they know uh you know, they they write stuff and you're like, wow, where did that come from? And when I look at my book, I I don't consider myself a very well-written guy or the most well-spoken guy. And so when I read something like, damn, that's some Bruce Lee moves, but you know, it doesn't come from me, it comes through me. And so I think it really allows us to be kind of like a solar being where we don't try to have a Herculean effort all on our own, but rather allow us to go through grace and ease and to be in flow with a higher consciousness. And so When my brain really snapped in half, I understood that the other side in this world, the doorway between two worlds is our brain. And as our brain is able to be a lot more open, that doorway of the other realm is able to enter our own infinite body. So we're able to make the infinite in this finite reality when we open up the brain. And so meditation is a great way to do this, as well as we'll get into our other segue Hypnotherapy to get into the deeper brainwave states so that we could allow the brain to be a lot more open for higher consciousness um, and higher wisdom to come into our everyday life.
0: Well, that is a great segue into your past life regression therapy or your hypnotherapy. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. You know, I was very much driven within hypnosis in a sense that I really understood this. From my near-death experience that this wasn't so much of a human thing we weren't just put here from the shores randomly biochemically crafted and put into families but rather there was an infinite spiritual intelligence behind all of our lifetimes and this indeed at a core was all a spiritual thing it wasn't reserved for a mono- monopolization you know of some guru living in the himalayas but at the end of the day it was all a part of our phyla each one of us at our core is spiritual, as we do come from the infinite consciousness, the infinite creator. And so what happens is within each lifetime, as I said before, is an erosion of that understanding, an erosion of why we came here, an erosion of empowerment with many people, not all, right? It's not a one size fit all, but for a lot of us, there's a degree of forgetfulness. And so what I would say is ultimately why I decided past life aggression was in a sense that Having my near-death experience as a child, I understood that all these truths were in our own backyard, that it was such a diametric difference than this reality where we had to muscle and work out to become something. And I understood that spiritual expansiveness is the process of reduction and removing a a lot of stuff. And so to find ourselves, it's losing all that stuff that we view as our possessiveness. Some might call the ego or just this temporary construct of how we see a reality. And so passive regression is for people who are open to a different nature of reality, of how they see themselves in their own karmic ties. I do believe this, yes, is an earth school, but not an earth school to really remember anything, but rather, but rather to integrate and embody our everything and to really expand how we view and integrate ourselves into this inf- into this finite reality. And so I think a lot more people give more power to the education and the human part versus the eternal wisdom and education that could be found within our own backyard. And so I tried to really get into hypnotherapy, you know, certified in, in passive regression therapy to empower other people to understand that people could yes explore the greater lifetimes, the greater gifts, the greater karmic ties not just their life's purpose, but their ultimate soul's purpose. And so that people could have a lot more meaning past the turbulence, so that they could be able to really transcend what's the challenges that lay in front of them more skillfully and with more grace and ease through a higher wisdom and higher navigational um, guiding force behind you know, everyday challenges.
0: Mm. Well, I'm sure it offers a lot of hope to people. Jacob, congratulations on your book, Life After Breath. Do you have it there to hold up? I
1: do. Um, I also have it behind me, but it's probably hard to see. But here is my book, Life After Breath. And it's a book where I do believe...
0: Great name, by the any- way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I do believe anyone could find themselves within this book. It's it's a it's a unique spiritual journey. I wrote this book in a sense that I wanted to, for people to not lose themselves and find me, but rather to um, find themselves within this book through reading my story and to be empowered. And so there's a relatability to it. There's a universality behind it. And that universality is, you know, that we cannot die, that this book could trickle a part of the doorway to our own eternity and remembrance of our own eternity and remembrance of all that is around us that sometimes we've lost sight of. And you know, it's my hope that during these times that people could have a new breath when I do f- believe that the whole world has gone through a near death experience in a sense that we lost the world that we lived in. But there's great beauty in that. There's great value in a sense that we could use a different gear that we wouldn't have done before in our own comforts through this shake-up period of consciousness that we're all collectively in our own unique ways going through. So it's my hope that it could invigorate inspiration and hope past some of the pain that people may be going through during this hour.
0: Wonderful. Well, Jacob Cooper, all your links will be in the show notes for people to connect directly with you. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been very insightful.
1: My greatest honor, and I couldn't thank you enough for having me, and you do incredible work, and uh, I'm just so lucky to be here in your presence, and um, just a student of your work and all the great Uh, presenters that have come before me I'm very honored to join you know their legacy
0: well I'm honored that you're here as well so thank you so much Jacob thank you (laughs) bye for now keep up the great work thank you thank you you too bye-bye I know thanks Jacob that was great
1: that was about 50
0: minutes I think
1: oh okay yes yes that was good I, I'm glad. I'm glad you thought so. I, I, I'm hoping there's something for everyone. Yes, um, I'm sure I know we, there we, is. We on a lot everyone. of different topics, but
0: <laughs> yeah, that was great. Good. Yeah. So the episode will come out within the next month, and once it's uploaded, I'll send you all the links. And I usually do a few little transcripts, and um, I'm quite efficient. Don't worry, I'll send you everything, and the, pod, the link to the podcast as well, which is Tickets. the same interview. It's just audio.
1: Take your time, take it easy, no rushes. And I look forward to promoting you. You know, I shared on my pages and getting my followers to, to view your page and Great. supporting you in any way that I can. So thank we, you so much.
0: You keep being such a wonderful light in the world.
1: I'll do, I'll <laughs> do my best to make you proud.
0: Thanks, Jacob. <laughs> thank Have you. a good evening. You too. Bye. God bless. Take it easy. Bye bye.